Hey, thanks for signing up for the Public Beta Podcast. It is November 3rd, 2020. Your host this week, myself, Lee and Reed. Hi. We're up here in Canada, watching uh, on the fence here, seeing what the uh, the Americans decide to do with their election. <laughs> uh, hopefully they don't completely cock it up uh, this time the around. Same we'll they want to ruin uh... their lives for another four years. <laughs> Regardless of where you are politically in the states at this point uh, it, it's like aren't you tired aren't regardless you tired if you're racist or not <laughs> yeah <we're>, <laughs> from the upper states or the lower states uh that's that's all of our political material for this week thank you tip your waitress uh we are once again remote uh reed uh there holding it down in the office i am here at home dealing with the blue jays that are very loudly chirping outside uh outside my door here like, it's a bunch of dudes from Toronto going like, hey, watch our fucking baseball yeah, games. The fucking baseball teams here, like, uh, practicing their golf swing in my backyard. Uh, what they don't tell you about Blue Jays is, yes, it's a beautiful looking bird and it's big, it's striking, uh, but they are a crow. They're from the crow family. They can imitate the sounds of other birds, bigger birds, uh, scare birds from their nests and take over. They're kind of, uh, they're kind of, you know, criminals. Sure. <laughs> Speaking of criminals, Reed, I've been playing a game called Watch Dogs Legion. Um, hacker, hacker man. I'm a hacker man. Uh, so you haven't played the other two Watch Dogs games. They Fuck take themselves. No. I totally like... forgot Watch Dogs Two was a game until you just said it. <laughs> so the first one took itself like really seriously, like serious hacker they're, man. They're like, look at his uh, jacket. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got the hacker jacket. That's how you know. Uh, he. Uh, what's his name? Aiden Pierce or something in the first I was, game? Anyways, I, I was gonna say, I don't know anything about this game, but I bet you 10 bucks his name's like Adrian or some fucking dumb shit. You, you're very close. Like, yeah, like here's our protagonist for Ghost Recon Explosion. His name is Adrian Jax. And Hell yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it can't all be Soap McTavish, right? <laughs> uh, so... They, uh, in the first game, it's set, like, in now times, maybe semi-near future, where, like, other than some added security systems and the idea that, you know, everything is hackable and you can pull people's data and steal money from their bank accounts and it's, like, near future hacking technology, um, that's quickly becoming a reality. That was the first game. The second one leaned even more into that. And now by this one, when you're in London, it's, it's almost, like, near future. The thing I can compare to, did you ever watch the Will Smith iRobot? Yes. Okay, imagine that view of the future, but instead of cool sex robots, we just have drones fucking everywhere, and, like, digital signs, and walkways, and lots of, not neon, but, like, LED screening and lighting everywhere. Okay, specify uh, so like a, the drones fucking, though. The drones probably can fuck, Ivan, <laughs> now that you mention it. Uh, but this is... This is a view of the future that's not quite like Deus Ex, not quite like the game you're playing through right now, which has like a style well, on top of it and, being like a near future game. And then don't even get me started about how Deus Ex's style makes no sense across the sequence of games. How like there's a fucking city built on top of a city in Human Revolution, and then you get to regular Deus Ex, which is 30 years in the future, and it looks like the 90s. Like, well, that's it, like that's like Star Wars, right? Like the prequels look. <laughs> New and right, the old but that's a big problem the with 70s. the fucking prequels. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm not pointing to this as a good example. Uh, 
So the city itself, like, I think I would have just preferred a open world London in the way the previous Watch Dogs games had, like, an open world San Francisco and an open world right, Chicago. Right, because it doesn't feel like London. It just, it feels like no, London. No, it's got all the name. landmarks, and it's it's got the vibes, like, the weather and all that kind of stuff is fine and what you would expect out of a fucking open world Ubisoft game that has hundreds of people working on it. Like, one guy just does the rain. I would expect the rain to look fucking good if he's done nothing but that for three years. Yeah. Uh, so all that kind of stuff is fine. The game runs very poorly. The loading screens are awful. I'm playing on Xbox One X. Uh, I've had the game lock up and freeze a couple times. Couple weird bugs, as you would expect from open world games, but not necessarily one here at the end of the generation. Like next week, the new fucking consoles are coming out, and you're releasing an Ubisoft ass Ubisoft game. Like it's got the open world, it's got the map with all the burrows, it's got all the activities you can do. Climb up there and hack this computer. Climb up there and put a painting up, uh, kind of thing. <clears throat> what it does have going for it is the headcanon shit I mentioned, in that you build your own team based on NPCs you come across, and the way they, this gimmick is executed is janky, uh, it's sloppy, and it's kind of funny. So you uh, you start the game as, like, a secret agent guy who's working with DedSec, who is the hacker uh, group du jour here. Uh, a bunch of bombs go off, and DedSec is basically blamed for this. This allows a private military corporation to basically take over London's security over the police. So it becomes like a police state in the in the city of London and presumably all of England. Uh, DedSec, uh, this one of the hackers that survived, is looking to build another team, and she is constructing this team out of randos she finds on the street. Now, the part where this becomes funny is that any rando on the street is potentially down to become an extremist hacker. Anyone. It, from that grandma, to that construction worker, to that person who's working the hot dog stand, uh, which don't exist in London. Uh... You, they're all down. They're all ready. And, of course, the game pushes a, a non-lethal... Like, all your weapons are shock weapons, and uh, you get, like, electric fists and things where it's meant to be non-lethal, but you straight up unlock characters that have actual guns, and the second they join DedSec... Like, I was just telling you, uh, there's this homeless guy I found, and I took note of him at the beginning of the game because he had a silenced MP5, which I thought was interesting, and uh, he had stealth. I'm like, that would be cool. You're stealthing around most of this game. By the way, this game kind of throws you into Watch Dogs quicker than any other game uh, in the series, obviously. And quicker than most other open world games. The thing that came to mind was Mercenaries 2. That gives you a rocket launcher in the first 10 minutes. This game pretty much gives you access to all the usual Watch Dogs bells and whistles. And at that point, it's up to you if you like what they're presenting or not. Because in a straight up, as a straight up shooter, this game is hard to play. You can't get into prolonged, like, third-person shooting, cover shooting stuff in this game. First of all, it's boring. And second of all, you are paper. You will get cut to shreds really quickly if someone's able to get a flank on you. So you're meant to stealth. You're meant to use your robots. You're meant to hack into fucking CCTVs and uh, bounce around the, the warehouse and stuff. If that's not for you, this game is that from go. Uh, but what's cool is all these different operators you get, of course, which I said are made up of anyone in the game... Uh, all have these different perks and, and your headcanon there around them. So I, I unlocked this homeless guy. Uh, I had to do this mission for him where, like, him and his entire, like, workforce of hundreds of people were laid off. So I break into this, like, headquarters. I find out what was going on with this. It, whatever. The story in this game, let me tell you, not interesting so far. All the side quest stuff is just a means to an end. Go here, do that. How you do it is the fun part. Who you're using is the fun part. So I unlock this guy... And turns out he's just John Wick. Like, it doesn't say anything in his personality profile, but I, I go to punch a guy, and this guy's doing, like, gun executions in the street. So from one second, this, was, this guy was a laid-off factory worker that happens to have, like, fucking ninja training. 
and these ha this hacker approaches him on the street, says, "Hey, I'm interested in uh, in you joining DeadSec, this group, blah 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 blah. We are, uh, you know, hacker terrorists, whatever." Uh, and the guy's like, "Hey, listen." I'd love to help you out. Can you check in on these people that got fired from my work? You do that, and not five seconds later, he puts an earpiece in his ear, and he's shooting people in the head in the streets of London. It, and, like, the whole game is this? Does this sound at all interesting to you from an open-world point of view? It depends. Is everybody recruitable that you come across, or is there only specific people? It seems like every single person I have encountered in the game, you can tag them, you can do a generic mission, and you can have them on your team. Of course, you know, some of them range from having cool perks and stuff that you can see. Others have nothing. You, you could do a run where you just get a bunch of bums that have no perks whatsoever and they just become hacker terrorists. Uh, you know, there's upgrades that go across all of your characters and stuff like that. And you can, can play as his characters. You can switch between them anytime you want, like GTA V. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So why don't I recruit like 100 characters and just like... Whatever. I don't know what the upper limit is. The first person... Uh, so you start the game, it gives you a list of, like, eight characters to choose from. I chose a, a banker, because he was a snappy dresser. Uh, and he also had a perk where, like, if you get arrested, the time will go away faster or something. Uh, immediately on the street, I come across this uh, lady who's wearing, like, this leopard uh, print skirt. She looks like a badass. I uh, look at her with my cell phone, and it turns out she's an MMA champion. So I'm like, well, this is the kind of talent... I need in DeadSec. Uh, so I recruit her. Turns out there's a bare knuckle boxing ring thing, like side quest you can do. So I've been doing that with my MMA character here. Uh, as you raise through the ranks of that, you also can recruit the people you fight there. So there's guys with cool perks like when they get into a fist fight, other people show up. Some people have melee weapons. Some people have additional guns they come with. Uh, you can equip gadgets on them like an AR cloak. Uh, where you can just become invisible for a little bit and you immediately lose a line of sight. If I was standing a foot in front of you and you had a gun held to my head and I clicked this cloak, man, you would immediately be like, where did this guy go? What the fuck is happening? Giving me enough time to choke uh, you out. Oh, yes. The fucking Bethesda stealth mechanic. <laughs> that you wouldn't just pull the trigger at that point. That you would be like, well, I guess they're gone and then immediately get get bought. Yeah, like when you go in Skyrim and you kill a guard and his buddies walk around for 30 seconds and go, guess it was nothing. Like, I guess yeah. just an arrow just came out of nowhere and killed this guy. Like, that's all here, and that's barely better than I've ever seen it in any... Like, like the stealth mechanics, the AI, all that stuff, nothing is new here. This is an open-world-ass open-world game. The entire thing that this thing has as a selling point is these this this team you build. And let me talk about that for a second. So, of course, read. Number one thing with any game with customization. What do I want? I want to see my characters in my customized gear at all times. In cutscenes, yeah. uh, out in the world. Right. So, when you switch between the characters, it, it, it saves your, your costumes. You can switch between them. You can make all your dudes look fly as hell. Uh, you can go to a photo booth in your hideout where you can take cool posed photos of your fucking idiots. Uh, but when they're just hanging out in the, in the headquarters or you find them out in the world, they're wearing their default gear. Not a big deal. Whatever. So, obviously this game has a lot of lines of recorded dialogue. Obviously this game cannot have a strong main protagonist if I can make my entire team eight grandmas and the game has to, has to then focus itself around that. So apparently what they do is, yes, there's a character randomizer, but they also, after you have selected and tagged people and recruited them, they start doing subtle things like pitch correcting their voices. So if I have three grannies and two of them happen to have the same voice actor, one of them might be pitched up or down, only this doesn't sound natural at all. It sounds like a fucking robot. So like I come across this guy, he's got kind of like a normal British accent. I recruit him. I meet up with him again, suddenly he, he sounds like Darth Vader. He's just like, hey there, Gov, what's going on? I'm like, what the fuck happened to your <laughs> voice? 
so like this game's full of little quirks like that. Like I unlock a construction, you unlock a construction worker pretty uh, early on, so you can summon a cargo drone. This thing is the size of a fucking car. You can climb on top of it. You can cl climb your robots on top of it, and you can fly this thing around the skies of London. Why would I ever drive a car? Ever again. Not to mention I don't want to because the handling of the cars in this game is fucking awful and it's always been. Uh, there are sliders in the menu where you can change your movement speed. For some reason on foot movement speed is set to 0% which is like Red Dead Redemption 2 levels of movement speed. Uh, so you crank that up. Man. Like. It's not that the game feels unfinished. It just. It's another one of these. And they didn't. Uh, well, how do I compare this? You know when you like make food at home and it's only you that's going to eat it. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I fucked this up a little bit. I fucked that up a little bit. But uh, who cares? I'm the only one who's going to see this. I'm going to add something new that's just for me. And that's what's going to make this this meal stand out. Watch Dogs Legion is that. I don't highly recommend it. The city is vast. It's huge. Uh, there's a lot of uh, landmarks in London. If, if that's your bag. Uh, of course, everything's covered in, in fucking air pollution of drones and f fucking LED lighting. Man, unless you have any other questions, uh, the story is kind of what you expect. Obviously, Dead Sex building themselves back up. Uh, they're going to try to take over the the corrupt uh, PMC that's now occupying London, etc. I, I like. I feel the urge to play more of this, uh, just because that sandbox of having all these different characters to switch between. Also, this homeless guy with this MP5 is fucking hilarious. The fact that any one of these characters, like the construction worker, she's like, you know what? You know, I'm kind of down on my luck or whatever. Maybe this is a new page for me. Yeah, let's 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 do this. Not to my, not to mention she's smoking hot. Uh, you get to choose between four construction workers. One of them spawned. I was just like, God damn, you're on the team. Uh, she comes with a giant wrench, and the first thing I do with her is just go do this random side quest where there happens to be enemies, and I do a takedown with her, and she bashes a man's skull in with a wrench. Nice. The the Ludo narrative dissonance. Is out the fucking window in this game. Uh, if you can turn off your brain and, and have some fun with the the Watchdogs core systems, right? Everything get that right off the bat. Everything that you're saying makes me see makes it seem like this is Saints Row Five and not Watchdogs Three. <laughs> well, I mean, Saints Row at least when they realized they could no longer continue on, just let you access the debug menu as part of the game. They let you fly through the air. They let you run at the speed of sound. Do giant shockwave punches. Uh, this game is not that. This game is still trying to be I'm talking nestled about, in I'm some I'm talking kind about, like, the super yeah. cheesy, tongue-in-cheek, fucking dumb character caricatures of actual characters. Like, uh, I mean, somewhat. Like, there's only so much personality they, they can give you to these characters that you're randomly picking up in the street, right? There's only so many lines of dialogue. You know, no one's mentioned by name. I don't even remember most of the names of people on my on my team. I can break them down. There's the banker with the cool coat. MMA champion, uh, Asian Keanu Reeves, <laughs> um, hacker guy who looks like my banker guy but has the Darth Vader voice, construction worker, oh shit, who's next? Oh, the guy I picked up from the bare knuckle fighting ring who kind of looks like you uh, but has like a Cockney accent and uh, oh. cheats when he fights and calls a bunch of people in, and then my homeless guy with the MP5. That's my team so far, seven people, seven characters, and switching between them is kind of at my leisure. There's clearly characters that I might as well play as all the time because they have clear bonuses in terms of perks and getting around. I don't know, man. Anyways, I talked way too long about that game, and uh, unless I have more to say about it or there's some kind of revelation uh, later on, that's kind of all I want to say about it, I'll be honest with you. Animal Crossing had their Halloween event. That was pretty fun. What have you been playing? Um, not a whole lot, to be honest. Kind of just giving up on Deus Ex since the PS5 is coming out next week. Um, yeah. 
Maggie took, uh, sorry, my girlfriend took the Switch for the weekend. Um, so I went on Ultra Sun and did the warp thing to get like 18 legendaries that I didn't have elsewhere. So do you have, are you trading up with a bank account? Like you have a yeah. home and a bank account currently? Yes. So on the 3DS, I will capture all these legendaries and I did. And then I put them onto bank and then I transferred them from bank to Pokemon Home. But isn't that two separate subscriptions? Uh, for some reason, home's not charging me nothing. Like, uh, so interesting. Yes. Maybe there was like a you have a trial or some shit. I did have to pay ten bucks for the bank for a year, but like it's ten bucks. I don't really care. Um, I'll use that. So you're yeah. the ideal consumer for Pokemon games. It's just ten bucks. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, um, that's basically what I spent my weekend on. I played some COD. You know, like pretty boring right like now. A good just boy. Kind of. Wanting to spend seven hundred fucking dollars on the twelfth, and uh, that's about it. It's fucking feast or famine, man. By by fucking like Thursday next week, you'll have Demon Souls, you'll have Miles Morales, you'll have all those free games on the PlayStation Four service. Uh, you'll be able to, you know, pop in your Avengers disc and uh, install that bad I'm boy. I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically, I'm basically just waiting for the PS Five to come out. Play Demon Souls. I might play Miles Morales right away. I haven't decided. Um, and then probably Warzone, honestly, and stuff have, like that. Have you completed uh, Demon Souls previously? No, I did not play the original Demon Souls. I have no desire to as well. I've played Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, and Bloodborne, I've beat them all twice, at least. Um, it seems weird that you have done all of those, but never got curious enough to go back and play There's Demon's nothing Souls. attractive about Demon's Souls to me, personally. I find the aesthetic, the gothic horror, the dark fantasy of Dark Souls and Bloodborne much better and more attractive. Demon's Souls in itself is still a bit of that dark fantasy, but it's a little bit more traditional, along with the very punishing game mechanics of cutting your health down by half if you die. Um, it just never seemed incredibly... Uh, never made me want to go, go out and play it, especially the amount of frustration people have expressed with that game rather than love they've expressed for their game. Like, you'll always, you'll find tons of people who talk about how much they love and enjoy Dark Souls 1. You'll find tons of people who will talk about Demon's Souls and be like, yeah, that game was hard, but they don't, they never say after, I'll fucking love that game. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I, I uh, was an early adopter of the Demon's Souls, picked it up on release date, and I liked the hub world structure of it. I like that you can, uh, I like that it gave you access to a bunch of variety of levels, and that if you were hitting your head too hard against one of the levels, you could just go to another statue, you could start another level, try the boss there. Uh, was kind of nice, whereas Dark Souls definitely kind of, at a certain point, it was like, okay, I do need to finish this to to, to proceed, uh, right? Yeah, yes and no. With Dark Souls 1, it's a bit tricky. If you're not incredibly familiar with the layout of the world and how everything works it can feel like you're stuck in that position but by no means do i ever think you are um yeah. the only time i would say you're really forced in that is when you get to like your londo because it's not easy to get back until you beat ornstein and smog um but that's the whole point of that boss fight is like whether you're ready or not you gotta fuck it. here it is um and then they of course completely uh, circumvented that and erased that in Bloodborne, Dark Souls 2, and 3, which are very similar to Demon Souls in regards to the level structure. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you the best. Demon Souls is the only one I've, I've beat. It, so. The new Demon Souls looks like it's not even really at all like the original Demon Souls in regards to like mechanics, gameplay, even the position of the camera, etc. So uh, I'm very interested to play this game. 
Make sure you uh, download that bug, bug Snacks for free on PSN Plus so you can play as a like beaver guy who eats a strawberry and then your arm becomes strawberries. Uh, I'm probably not going to do that, but we'll see. <laughs> no, you got you got to put something out there for the potheads and children. <laughs> so, we got all the Demon Souls and the Spider-Man. What's out there for the potheads and the children? Uh, I mean, Cold War uh, also comes out that week. Comes out on Friday. Yeah, you I, have no interest. Well, um, I am. I don't want to say a hardcore Call of Duty fan because for a large period of time, I only played. Like I've pretty much bought every Call of Duty. But from Black Ops 2 to uh, the newest Modern Warfare that just came out, I really, I wouldn't even get to like level 30 uh, online for all those games. I've played them very little. Uh, but typically, I really don't like Treyarch's Call of Duties over Infinity Wards. I find Treyarch much uh, cheesier. Um, I find their gameplay a lot more loose. I don't like how their guns sound typically. Um like, like, I fucking hate Black Ops 3 in the sense that, like, not so much the maneuverability, because I do like the maneuverability of Black Ops 3 and Advanced Warfare, but one of the characters that you can play in the pseudo-Overwatch multiplayer they have is just, like, some fucking guy from Brooklyn with robot arms, and he's talking, he's like, yeah, give me a ham sandwich, why are you, why are you talking to me? Like, like, fuck off, Treyarch, <laughs> with your bullshit corny stuff. Their fucking Black Ops 1 story about the numbers is so fucking bad. Your, your, your Call of Duty, your, like, don't tell a story that's not just a simple fucking military shooter. Like, I don't understand. It's absolutely mind-fucking-blowing. So I, it's uh, I've no- yeah, like when we were we were talking about advanced warfare as being like one of the great campaigns, but you're like, well, they kept it simple in terms of here's the bad guy, here's the good guys, it, it, action movie plot. Whereas yeah. when you look at, like, was it Black Ops 4 or Infinite Warfare or whatever one that was taking place in, like, someone's mind or whatever, like, yeah, like getting a little full of itself. It get, it, it's all uh, over the fucking <laughs> place, especially between Black Ops 1 and 2 and 3. Like, it's just, it's completely wild, and it's not the structure you like to play in a Call of Duty. Uh, I When I like to play Infinity Wards, uh, especially their campaigns, um... There's lots of, like, tactical talk, and it seems like you're in a military shooter. Like, people are, like, like danger close, 36 cl- uh, thirty six meters to your right, like, setting charges. And if you play Black Ops, you get more, like, there's some sons of bitches in the next door. Let's fucking blow a hole in their ass. Like, I fucking hate it. I can't stand it. <laughs> Speaking of wildly inconsistent, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War for the PC... Now, keep keep in mind, I don't know what this means for the console. If you're just looking to install the multiplayer, it's 50 gigabytes. The zombies in the campaign is 175 gigabytes. Apparently, to do a full install on your PC, it's going to be 250 gigabytes of storage. And that's not, even, that's not even Warzone. No, that's just Cold War. That's not that's not even considering, like, Modern Warfare 2019. That's This is just Cold War. I don't know what this means for consoles. I would imagine sti- that maybe it's like two-thirds of the size. Right, and I still have no idea what's going on with Warzone exactly. Like, is it switching to look like black? Like, like uh, I just read something yesterday about it. They, they Like, they're going to be adding modes, gear, operators from Cold War. So it's going to be Warzone, but flavored with Here's some Cold, Cold War, War in, some, in some capacity. Yeah. All right, so I guess we're throwing kayfabe out the fucking window. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're gonna have AK forty sevens versus like FAMASs and, and all that, and shit. fucking predator missiles and shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, but why? Actually, at a certain point, like if they keep doing that, why not? Like, 
isn't that the isn't that what we want out of Warzone? It just becomes this like eclectic mess of Call of Duty. That's just not. Like, it's not what I want. Like, I, I I can't speak for everybody. I like a consistent time period for my shooter. <laughs> oh really? Okay, yeah. Well, you're fucked then. Speaking of fucked, Anthem Dev updates with plans <laughs> for new meaty mech combat. Javelin mechs are now uh, full of slots and choices. I. Listen. Like, what? why are you working on this fucking game? Suddenly, last Wednesday, uh, I think in the afternoon after we recorded, uh, studio director Christian Daly shared an update to Mech Combat, which was considered one of the strongest aspects of the game. What the... It's a Mech Combat game. Like, (laughs) we're talking about just combat here, which it wasn't that great. The flying's good. I, I liked the walking around very slowly in the hub world. Uh, personally, I don't know about you. Holy uh, fuck. So, the player now has a loadout screen, which they can equip and change gear at their leisure. What a... It's been a year and a half! Uh, they now have artifacts and mod slots as well, allowing them to buff up their 11 equipment slots. The, the idea that a team has, in some capacity, been working on this game for a year and a half without putting out any new content... So few updates on the game, and also the fact that no one is playing this or has... In- Me and you have some kind of pull to this game. This game is our boy for some reason. But, fuck's sake, man. Like, I don't know. I don't... I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't understand the benefit to working on this game anymore. Like, people are going to be playing PS5, you know? And yeah. they're going to be like, hey, Anthem's updated, guys. Here we, here we go. Uh, did you see the Final Fantasy 16 character and story detail reveal? I did not. Are you interested in hearing at all about it? Sure. <laughs> go for it. Uh, so we learn our uh, main protagonist's name, Clive Rosefield. Clive? Not to be confused with Chris Redfield. Clive Rosefield. Okay, because uh, I'm going to think He's indeed of... <laughs> the older brother of the red-wearing child from the trailer, Joshua Rosefield. There's also a Jill Warwick, uh, a childhood friend of the Rosefield brothers who isn't uh, from their homeland, who was raised alongside them. The character bios hint at a tragedy that occurs between the two brothers involving Ifrit that causes Clive to start on a dangerous road to revenge. Oh, okay. So uh, so here's what I... Based only on the trailer, okay? Here's what I speculate to my buddy in the office about what yeah. I think the story is going to be and how it would be very interesting if they went the route. I am hoping they go. Um, based on the trailer, you can summarize that each warring nation has something called an icon, which is like a summon that, you know, is like their trump card essentially, right? I I will, I will say you're correct or wrong as you go. Yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) So later in the trailer, you go, uh, Joshua gets enveloped in fire. Okay. Um, and you hear a buddy go a second icon of fire, but that's not possible. Before this, we saw Phoenix, by the way. So then Joshua becomes Ifrit, okay? Okay. So yeah. by this summarization, we can go like, okay, so this nation that you belong to, let's call it the Nation of Fire. Shout out to Avatar The Last Airbender. I haven't watched that show. Um, <laughs> so we can summarize you belong to the Nation of Fire. You can summarize your icon is like a phoenix, and it's probably like the king or some bullshit. Who cares? Then Joshua turns into Ifrit, but everybody's like, oh, shit ifrit that's like the bad fire icon and then joshua as ifrit will fucking kill everybody okay will destroy your entire nation like death from the inside all your friends you're thinking brother versus brother revenge tale yes so he'll destroy everybody and then and then your character clive after is going to be like 
fuck, like, icons are pieces of shit, look what my brother did. I have to start killing all these icons, absorbing their powers, so I can go kill Ifrit, a.k.a. my brother. Because we, okay, so we see him in the gameplay trailer clearly using the abilities of other icons, such as Phoenix, when he's getting, like, a wing coming out of his back to attack or something like that. Kenny Omega. Yeah, so, yeah, in my opinion, what, and what I'm hoping they do is, like, a brother-on-brother revenge story, but not in the sense that, like, my brother is a fucking asshole in the sense of, like, I'm the only one that can kill him. It's, so, like, I have to kill him. It's, so, like, it's the only option I have. Yeah, so the only, like, real, like, story beat we have is that uh, the Icons, which is spelled E-I-K-O-N, kind of close to the Eidolons, Primals, whatever you want to, however you want to refer to them, they pick a Dominant, which is their, like, human host, uh, which they bestow their power upon, and then some nations hold these Dominants as, like, their high high positions, they're super important because they have this fucking magic power, yeah. uh, and then other nations can straight up condemn uh, dominance and they're considered like dangerous i guess so uh, joshua okay, so is, this is a fucking, uh, dominant this yeah. is this is final fantasy 13 <laughs> oh, or 10 yeah. uh, joshua is a dominant meaning he has the ability to call upon his nation's related icon phoenix uh so phoenix is the brother most nations in the world of valistia are built around mother crystals huge crystal mountains that supply aether uh, to the areas around them. Each Mother Crystal is affiliated with an icon, uh, which Final Fantasy fans will recognize as the summons from previous games. So you have, your thing is like flip-flopped. You are Ifrit. Clive has the Ifrit icon. Joshua has the Phoenix. Uh, maybe oh. it's like the Phoenix Force and that the icon, the Phoenix, is like bad news because it takes him over and oh, then tries okay. to what, like, raise the earth. Yeah, what I'm hoping doesn't happen is just a nation comes and like takes Joshua and kills all your family and then you're just like, okay, I, I, I gotta go get him back. Because that's like just a little too... little too. You gotta go get him back on a crazy road trip with three of your yeah, best with friends. with my best friends. Starfield, which is uh, Bethesda's new space game. Sure. The game engine will be a leap forward, Bethesda says. Still no word on when Bethesda sci-fi RPG might launch. Uh, they went on to say, in regards to Microsoft, that the next Elder Scrolls and Starfield are likely to be free Game Pass games like all first-party Microsoft-published games. So, if you got the Xbox Series X or Game Pass on PC, you're all set. Cool. I wonder what this means for the quality of Bethesda games. Because, uh, <laughs> obviously, they're... They're in a bit of a hole right now with Fallout 76 being their, their most previous offering here. Uh, and then, you know, if they have that Microsoft money and the idea is that, okay, we're going to be pumping these things out on a bigger clip. And ultimately, they're going to be offered for free on their lead pr platform. What does that mean for how big these games have to be? What's the expectation? What does this mean for Elder Scrolls 6? I don't have the answers. What do you think about it? <laughs> I... I think Elder Scrolls Six is going to follow the template that Skyrim has created, and that's making itself more accessible to a wider audience, which means less RPG mechanics, more swinging swords, uh, less complicated writing, and more go into the cave and kill this. Like, <laughs> like it's unfortunate this. that's the way it's going to go, and clearly it fucking works because Skyrim has made shit tons of money. It's just, it sucks that... You just know that this is what's going to happen to this game. Look what happened to Fallout 4 compared to New Vegas or 3. Like, it's... I don't know. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah, it sucks. What can you do about it, though, I guess? Like, there is still Elder Scrolls Online that has 
thousands of players and is doing, by all counts, quite well for itself and offers that general Elder Scrolls but it's what not. have you. It's it's a uh, it's a it's an MMO. Like it's yeah. Like, it's it's different. It's not casual. I mean, I think there's some of that in there. Even when I played that game at launch, it's like, oh, there there is a bit of wandering around. There is a bit of what you would expect from an Elder Scrolls here. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's it's not awful. It's it's maybe worth a look if you ever get that itch. Lee, that I like, literally I built a PC in like whatever year it came out to play Elder Scrolls Online. I was severely disappointed at launch. Let me tell you. Oh wow. <laughs> okay, launch Elder Scrolls Online is a completely fucking different story, though, right? Like if the quest, <laughs> I, if if I was in a party in an active group and it constantly showed me in this active group with my buddy and we got a quest that was collect twenty flowers. Guess what? That actually is. That's collect forty fucking flowers. Except yeah, hell yeah, buddy. That like it's not spawning two flowers for us. It's spawning one fucking flower. It's <laughs> like fuck, <laughs> fuck that game. <laughs> Welcome to an MMO. Uh, I mean, after the the initial launch of Final Fantasy fourteen, uh, before they redid it there. I mean, after that, Elder Scrolls Online seemed like wow, they didn't completely fuck this up compared to what I've recently played. <laughs> I guess so. All right. Pokemon! Reed, let's leave the sixth generation behind, but quickly recount what we discussed at the end of last show. Uh, of course, the decline of Pokemon in terms of features after uh, Gen 4. Gen 5, black and white, we talked about uh, at length. Uh, what could you add in terms of features? We talked about types, reducing types, combining types, what that might look like. We talked about X and Y. Uh, and how it was it was a really good resurgence, of course, on the on the 3DS, and uh, were solid games all around. I compared them pretty directly to the fourth gen uh, of games. And then, of course, uh, in in May of 2014, we got Omega Ruby and uh, Alpha Sapphire, which I was one of the first Pokemon games I didn't buy a physical copy of. I just downloaded from the eShop, and because it stayed on my 3DS and it was just there all the time, I played way more of this game. Than I think I ever intended to. Uh, how was your experience with the remakes of Gen Three? Fine, they like very un unmemorable. I should say for me, it seems like it seems like X and Y came out, and then like they shot out a bunch of games till Ultra Sun and Moon came out, and it's hard remembering them. Yeah, like Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby was when I was not into competitive Pokemon, so I feel like I played the game like twice and then I never played it again. So I, I, there's not much for me to say about it, unfortunately. It's it's X and Y, but more. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was nice to revisit the the Gen Three, like the the world. Uh, I, I'm kind of partial to. I like the diversity of it. Um, right, I, I, you know, I, I like the diversity to it, but it also it. Like, I don't want to say it lost its edge because it's Pokemon, but it lost its edge? Like, I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. Like, like there was, like, a certain air to the first two gens. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Gen 3 is fucking weird, and it seems like, it seems like Dark Souls 2 of Pokemon. You're not wrong. Um, we talked about before, like, how the map is laid out and how it's, like, 50 ground, 50 water, and the HMs and how reliant that game was on it. It felt always like a chore to get around. Of course, the remakes changed a lot about that. Uh, of course, you know, then come summer, uh, July 2016, uh, Niantic and Nintendo released a free-to-play augmented reality game called Pokemon Go uh, for cell phones that kind of put Pokemon, not just the main series games, but just put Pokemon back 
you know, everybody, it was launched with the original 150 that everybody knew, parents and kids. The fucking phenomenon that was Pokemon Go cannot be understated for the popularity of Pokemon as a brand where it was already one of the best-selling video game brands of all time. Uh, on February 26th of 2016, two new Pokemon titles were announced titled Pokemon Sun and Moon. And uh, so this was... They were going to be announced later that year. So between the announcement of Sun and Moon and the release in November... Um, where they did a, a bit of a delay. Japan got it a few days early, and then uh, we got it November 23rd of that year. Uh, this was the first uh, game since the second generation to be backwards compatible with other titles, including Pokemon X and Y, Omega, Ruby, and Sapphire, because this is technically a next generation. Uh, it could trade directly to the previous games, which, when you think about it, isn't something that was always available. Of course, the original Gen 2 Gold and Silver could tra trade directly to Red and Blue uh, for the Pokemon available therein. Um... Sun and Moon, I thought, was pretty cool. It did away with the gym leader structure. Instead, uh, you were on, like, a, a approximation of, like, the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, the, the areas on the 3DS, they were rendered, I thought, very beautifully. They got a lot out of that console uh, to the point where even in double battles and stuff like that, you would start to notice your 3DS start to chug if you weren't playing on a new 3DS. Um, they, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about Sun and Moon in a second, but the, the yin-yang to that was that the series from there... Went directly into another direct sequel in Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, uh, which kind of became like the ultimate Pokemon games in terms of competitive play. It had everything available. I think you would agree with me on that. Um, yeah, I, I guess it then, depends what kind yeah. of uh, competitive format you enjoy. But is, if we're talking about as far as choices, options, and overall access to content, yes, it is the easily the biggest Pokemon game in that regard. And then uh, until Sword and Shield came out just recently, last year, uh, they released, of course, Let's Go, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, which is a additional, basically, remake of Gen 1, specifically a remake of the yellow version of Pokemon, uh, in terms of where the story goes. But let's dig a little bit more into 7th uh, Gen here with Pokemon Sun and Moon. Of course, we had the L Alolan forms of Pokemon, which I love. I love alternate versions of things. Sure. Uh, and especially when they did the alternate versions of things that then had a different type that they took on, uh, I thought was very neat and deepened the meta of Pokemon in a way I really enjoyed. Where it's just like, here's a Pokemon I already like, here's a different version of it. And they continued to do this, of course, with Galarian versions of Pokemon as well. Uh, I really like this. Yourself? Yeah, I like the alternate versions. If we're talking about Sun and Moon in general, I... This is probably like my least favorite Pokemon games in a long, long time. Um... I don't like the island gym leader, the, like the island leader format where you fight big Pokemon. I did not like, I did not enjoy that whatsoever. I thought the characters are incredibly weak. The villains weren't interesting. Um, like it, it felt like they were trying to completely change the Pokemon formula, but they actually didn't really change much of anything. Like you're still going around doing the same thing. Um, I've, in general, I'm not a big fan of the whole tropical feel to everything, too. Uh, it's something... You don't like the aesthetic, period. <laughs> I don't like the aesthetic as much. Yeah, I, it's pretty cool, I guess. Um, yeah, just I didn't feel like this game... I don't know, it just didn't vibe with me, I guess. Like, it felt... It feels like Pokemon over the years has gained a lot more hand-holdy in regards to just the main campaign. And even if I'm looking forward to the competitiveness after the campaign, I still have to get through the story and stuff. And I'd like to enjoy it, preferably. Um, and this got even worse in Sword and Shield. But yeah, like I said, I thought the villains were weak, their motivations were bad, and what exactly their goals were were vague. 
they're just like, yeah, we want we want to see Ultra Beasts. And you're like, why? And they're like, because Pokemon. So, and you're like... There's an overarching thing with uh, rifts in this game where Pokemon from other times and space or whatever are, are like ripping into our time period. And there's a bit of a storyline after the game and I think Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon I don't think the original games right. have this right like we're fucking with yeah. like gods of suns and moons and going through rift holes to other dimensions and time travel and you're like bro 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 red blue and yellow was about you becoming like the best pokemon trainer by beating other pokemon trainers and then also there's some bad guys stealing pokemon like not to mention that these Pokemon we're talking about are the most Digimon-ass Pokemon that have ever been designed. Right. Like, it, it, it feels like we're jumping the shark huge here. Like, when the, like, I, I, I don't, I don't like interacting with gods and, like, creators of, like, abstract, <laughs> and creators of abstract concepts of our reality within Pokemon games. Like, I don't think mm. that does anything for kids. I doesn't do anything for me. I don't see anybody being, like... Like, wow, this giant sun line created the sun. Cool. Like, no one gives a fuck about that. Uh, so the thing I really liked about this game is the uh, the presentation in that the characters and everything is scaled correctly. So now characters and Pokemon are always scaled to what the Pokemon yeah. actually are. I really like that. Uh, so even without, like, the tropical aesthetic, take it or leave it, it kind of had more of an Okinawa, like, Japanese take on Hawaii thing going on. So I rather enjoyed the aesthetic, especially because it's just like, it's not this all the time. Here's your tropical Pokemon game. Fucking deal with it. Um, I liked that the chibi styled models were, were kind of taken out and that we have a scaled Pokemon world was really cool to me. Uh, the starters, I think, you know, are maybe the strongest bunch of starters in terms of, uh, I mean, Rowlet, Litten, and Poplio here. Uh, you can't go wrong with any three, any of those three, yeah, in my opinion. Especially if we're talking about competitive format, fucking Cineroar is one of the greatest Pokemon ever right now. Yeah. Well, if we're talking uh, about VGC format anyway. <laughs> uh, and then Z-moves, or Z-moves, here in Canada, in the, with the Queen's English, uh, added, you know, you could use these huge moves once per battle. Uh, hidden moves, which were used to navigate terrain in past games, have been replaced with specialized Pokemon that can be summoned at will. Absolutely This fantastic. is fucking huge. Yeah, this was... Easily my favorite change, though, however, was the absolute removal of HM moves. I couldn't be happier. Yeah, and then the HM moves themselves just became TM moves. Like, you can still get fly and etc., but they are not required right. to and actually Right, now I'm travel. not forced to have a flying type in my party every time if I don't want to. Like, now I can just fucking yeah. get places. It's great. Uh, the Rotom Pokédex sucks. A Pokédex that talks, uh, that is an actual Pokémon... Is really fucking stupid. I've never liked it. It's I hope they stop doing it. Super annoying. Like you'll have like one Pokemon at like ten health, and clearly you're going to a fucking Pokemon Center to heal it. And Rotom's like, "Hey, you got healing items in your bag," and you're like, "Shut the fuck up!" Don't you care about your Pokemon at all? <laughs> uh, one thing that we can't say that was cool is Mega Evolutions. Uh, they are here, so you have like the most features stacked on top of one another in the Battle Tree. Uh, you actually, in this game, and I think Ultra Sun and Moon as well, you actually become the champion. And when you return to the the quote-unquote Pokemon League, instead of uh, instead of you just challenging the same trainers, you fight the trainers, and then at the end you sit on your throne, and a random comes in to challenge you is really, really yeah, cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and it could be like, it could be famous Pokemon trainers. So like Gary Oak can wander in. You got to fight him and stuff like that. That was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, 
Pokemon Cotton uh, XY, Omega, Ruby, and Alpha Sapphire can be transferred into this game. You can also use Pokemon Bank here with Pokemon Sun and Moon. So in terms of a collector, vis-a-vis uh, -vis me, Ultra Sun and Moon are still, uh, in terms of collecting the best Pokemon games that have the most complete Pokedex of any Pokemon game. Uh, so it, maybe that's why I hold it in such a regard, is that just like, no, this is the game that really gave me as much as I've ever had in the Pokemon series before. And I'm speaking specifically of Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Yeah. Uh, we got to kind of wrap her up here, but uh, legendaries, we have Solgaleo and Lunala. Lunala? I don't think I've ever said these Pokemon names out loud. Uh, so we got a Sun Lion and a Moon Bat. And uh, at this point, if you're still excited about legendary Pokemon and their lore, I don't know what to tell you. Because yeah, at a certain point it's there, just all we, nothing. We, like you said, we were fighting God. So Yeah, like in Gen 4, you literally have God in that game. Like anything that comes after that is like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> Succinctly put, Reed. Yeah. Succinctly put. Hey, at Tits Iceberg is us on Twitter. LeahTitsTheIceberg.com is my email address. Leave a question, topic. Whatever you want, anywhere you see this posted, if we find it interesting, we will talk about it. Uh, you know, business as usual, reviewing AEW this coming weekend. And then, of course, we'll be back again with a public beta podcast next week, where we will uh, probably wrap up our Pokemon conversation with Sword and Shield. Of course, the Let's Go games. And then we'll decide at that point if the side games need their own episode or if we can cram it into 30 minutes and call it a day on Pokemon. Either way, for your host to speak, myself, Lee, and for Reed, thanks for signing up and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week.